From New York Women in Film and Television, this is Shot Callers, a podcast that celebrates the work of women behind the scenes and in front of the camera in film, television, and digital media. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Destiny Lilly. So excited for everyone to listen to Shot Callers. Uh, We've taken a little time off for the summer, but now we're back. I had the pleasure of speaking to a lot of fantastic women over the summer, and you'll hear some of those interviews in the coming weeks. I'm also really thrilled to announce that we're moving to iTunes. Yay! So you can still listen to us on SoundCloud and on your SoundCloud uh, app on your devices, but we will also be on iTunes, so give us a positive rating, uh, subscribe, And you can find us there uh, as of today, um, as of the point where you're listening to this. Um, Also, we're changing our format up a little bit. So every two weeks, we'll have an episode of Shot Callers. And the first episode will be news and information about what's going on with women in the industry on a specific topic. And then two weeks later we'll have a conversation with a woman in the industry, whether she's a producer, director, cinematographer, uh, casting director, agent, lawyer. We have so many fantastic women in every aspect of the industry, and that's a big part of NYWIFT membership. Um, And if you're curious about NYWIFT, you can visit our website, nywift.org, and follow us on Twitter, at at NYWIFT. So I recently had the pleasure this summer of sitting down with Sky Vaughn, She is a writer and director who is doing excellent work, and I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Thanks so much. I'm here with Sky Vaughn, who is a writer and director. Sky, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, everybody. So I wanted to ask you, what first drew you to work in the industry? Um, What drew me first to the industry? Actually, I started out in theater and then eventually ended up in film. But uh, my mom took me um, to see opera, actually more specifically, um, Carmen. And um, I saw that when I was, I think, six years old or seven. It's very early memory. And I was so taken by it. Um, And I was like, I want to be on the stage. I want to perform. And that started kind of my whole dream um, of being an actor. And then I actually um, moved to England after my mom passed away and went uh, and studied theater there and then moved on to uh, New York to continue studying acting here at AMDA. Um, And after that, wanted to go to LA. And that's when I started to think about this industry as far as film is concerned because I wanted to graduate from stage to film and I moved to LA. I continued some more studies there and then started working as an actress. But when I was uh, 25, I was burnt out and my career just didn't take off the way I had envisioned it. Um, And instead of going back to potentially New York or England and going back to theater, I decided that I just had to kind of take a really clean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, just kind of separate myself, uh, you know, completely from the industry and just take a break from it. And I went into photojournalism instead because photography was always a passion of mine. And I want, was like, I wanted to go see the world and do something different. And um, 
in 2010, I then went and worked in Africa and in Asia and in Europe, and I moved back to New York. Um, and then in 2010, the industry, uh, the publishing industry had um, a crisis after the financial crisis, and they let go a lot of people, and I was suddenly out of a job, and um, I had to find something else to do, and I was offered a job in commercial film production back in Los Angeles, and I moved back. And there, on my first day of set, I met the camera team, and the camera team was like, you need to come and be with us, yeah. and you need to like learn to be a DP. That's what you should be doing, you know? Um, and I thought about it, and I knew how much I missed being, um, you know, in film and in storytelling, and uh, narrative storytelling. So I was like, okay, let's give this a try. And then, uh, I don't know, within like a month or two, I actually ended up directing my first music video. And then I almost cried <laughs> on set. And I was like, this is actually everything that I should be doing. It was the happiest moment of my life because it just brought all the elements together. It brought everything from, from the acting to um, the storytelling to the camera to you know my love for costume, for stage design, for everything just together in one piece. And um, I'm a collaborator and I love working with other people. So it was just such a natural fit for me that I was like, okay, I'm gonna go down this path and figure out how I can make this my profession and obviously at that point i was already uh 30 almost 31 and i it, i just couldn't afford film school so um i looked at what my other options were and since i was already working in commercial film production and i had just come from a field that really didn't pay very well which was journalism mm -hmm. i was i actually was like maybe i should just be very pragmatic about it and go into commercial film production instead of narrative film mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, was already in that world. So I, s I started getting help from whoever I, you know, I knew through work and they basically told me go direct like, you know, five to eight commercials, um, spec commercials, uh, talk to brands, you know, find ways to do stuff for free, build a portfolio, then find a production company. Um, and then you will be able to start working and do like music videos and stuff. So I started doing that. Uh, meanwhile, working in production at the same time and, and camera with the camera team as you know as a camera assistant, um, and um, and then someone told me I needed to make a short film mm -hmm. to really be taken serious by any commercial film production companies, <laughs> and I was like, okay, great. So there's another thing to accomplish because at that point I had like directed five um, commercials, and I was like. <sighs> okay, because I had started sending out and I wasn't really getting that many requests. And they're like, you have to do a short film and you have to take your festivals and win awards. And I was like, okay, just another step. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. And I was like, so where do I get a short film? Like, uh, where do I get a, sh a short script? Um, and I was like, and they were told me, no, you have to write it yourself. <laughs> I was like, okay, but I'm not a writer. Like, and then I was like, okay, I have to figure it out. So I actually went back to school and learned screenwriting. Um, and uh, took a, a course for screenwriting and learned to write that. And part of this course was to actually write a feature. <laughs> so I ended up from like setting out to write a short to s writing a feature. And um, I ended up writing this feature and really enjoyed that process too. And I was like, okay, that's what I want to do too. I want to write a writer and a director. Um, 
so it, from then on, that's been basically what I've been doing. And I, actually, the writing has become kind of the thing that I do most. And I also write for other people now. Um, and I have done some short films since then. And I am now, right now, in pre-pre, uh, in like development, pre-production for my first feature, um, which is hopefully shooting um, early next week. And I'm, uh, next week, oh, I wish. No, uh, early next year. Um, and I'm saying hopefully because um, it's a feature film world and there's so many elements to it. Um, and I actually am going to be very, very upfront here. I was uh, hired on to direct a feature, another feature by a production company that I hadn't written and it fell apart just recently. So, and we worked on it for a year and a half. Um, and I'm sure many can relate. And for those of you who are not in the film industry, like it just takes so many factors and elements. And like there's, you know, from the talent being available, from finding the money, from, I mean, I, everything, I, you know, people changing their mind to, uh, so I say, hopefully we'll shoot that feature as planned early next year. Um, but obviously it could maybe take longer. I mean, I was shocked to hear that, um, being John Malkovich, this is probably one of my favorite films, mm -hmm. took eight years to be made. Mm -hmm. uh, it took him eight years, like, and I think he finally, I, I, I there's some crazy stories about him, like, telling it to this taxi driver, and then somehow, because he told it to this taxi driver, that actually was the reason that it then ended <laughs> up, like, actually getting to write. Um, I don't remember the whole story, but, um, yeah, I, I always say going into narrative film, for me, um, has taught me how to become the most patient person in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely wasn't before. Um, and you just learn to just not attach, you know? Um, and I think I'm a better person for it. I'm uh, actually probably a happier person for it, but um, it's also sometimes really, really hard because mm -hmm. if you're passionate about what you do, you want to do it now, or you want it to like at least move along at the, the pace that you think it should move along, and but it never does. <laughs> yeah. So what kind of projects are you passionate about? Well, obviously, right now I'm very passionate about the the that feature that um, it's called. Um, well, the working title is uh, "The Ghost, the Girl, and the Texan," and it's um, a ghost road movie, um, <laughs> and it takes on uh, the border, the racial border conflict between Mexico and and, and the United States, um, and it's about. Um, a racist Texan who uh, gets possessed by a ghost, and the ghost is actually Mexican, um, and he has to enlist his neighbor, who he's been, you know, uh, you know, who's been feuding with, who's actually first generation Mexican American, to take him across to America, uh, to across to Mexico, to her grandmother, who is a bruja, so she mm -hmm. can exercise the ghost. Oh, that sounds great. So I want to take on. For me, it's important to to take on very hefty like subjects, but in in a light way mm -hmm. because I I don't know maybe it's just personally me I don't really like being told anything, mm -hmm. but I like to be inspired without I or maybe I'm being told something but I don't even like feel like I'm being told so like I went to see Star Trek Beyond last mm -hmm. night my absolute favorite new movie mm -hmm. um, such a good movie uh, everything from like story structure to characters to just the action and all of it is so great but the best part about it is it's and um, 
John Chu actually said that he's like, it is basically the political landscape of America right now. And I, I think it actually goes beyond. It's not just America, but it's basically about um, what are we like, what is important to us is peace or war, you know, like the world that we live in right now. So I think it's so great that this big blockbuster takes that on and you clearly walk out and you're like, everyone that I was with was like, oh my God, this was so deep and meaningful. So we walked out, but the whole time in the film, we never felt like, oh, you should think about this, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I'm really interested in making um, that kind of content um, and I don't only do features, obviously I do, um, well, commercial and branded content, obviously I don't have so much control over what the message is. Mm -hmm. That's what I do for, you know, to pay the bills, but um, I also do virtual reality mm -hmm. um, and I'm starting to do AR. Um, and in everything that I do myself for my artistic impression, uh, expression, I really want to take on like these kind of topics and put them into um, a light context so that they can reach many people, you know? Um, so I, I always, I don't shy away from the word commercial uh, film because I actually think commercial film is a, commercial film is a very powerful medium because it does reach so many people and not just, you know, in one country, but like worldwide, you know? and. Um, there's like a really great film that came out earlier last this it's a Chinese film and it's actually the highest grossing film I think of all time at this point because it in China it did and I compare collectively. It's called Mermaid and it's about um about um global warming and preserving the oceans, but it's told through this really wacky mermaid sto love story, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it had such a great message and I love that. So I think that's really, really powerful. That's awesome. I'm really fascinated to talk a little bit about your work in AR, which is augmented reality, and VR, virtual reality. Um, as you know, you know, AR has been in the news a ton recently with Pokemon Go. Um, tell me about how you got involved in that and the kind of work that you do. I will. And I will say I play Pokemon Go and I love it. <laughs> it's so awesome. Um, so just to, to clarify, I'm not working in AR yet. I am thinking about AR, but I'm not actively working on a project. Um, uh, but I am actively, I have already done uh, two projects in VR and I'm actively working like on other ones. So, um, uh, so I can speak more to VR, but I've definitely put a lot of thought into AR. Um, the reason I got into VR is a little bit like I stumbled into it, um, but so I work with a label in New York to do music videos for them and they came to me with a band and they said, we want a music video, but we don't want a music video. And they're mm -hmm. like, music videos are dead. And I'm like, we all know that. Um, but they're like, we still have to make one, but can we not like do a short film? And I can go to the short, it can go to film festivals, but we want to like have something that actually reaches more people than maybe like, you know, some YouTube clicks. And I said to them that I don't think a short film is the right medium for a music video per se, you know, um, but they should think about uh, what, I mean, I, I suggested VR to them. I was like, virtual reality would be a really, really great vehicle to for music to be visualized. And 
I this is actually a theory of mine, and now like I know it's not my my theory alone because like Bjork actually just realized it, and I know that other big musicians are working on this already, but I believe that um, VR is actually a way for the music industry to have a new revenue stream mm. and actually a, a new outlet um, because obviously you know like music downloads and all of this stuff like we don't really purchase music anymore we have Spotify but one thing that you can accomplish with VR ideally is that you can create these experiences which obviously because I'm sure some of you don't know VR so there's different ways to watch virtual reality one is you can just go on YouTube and it's called YouTube 360 and you just use your either cursor or your finger on your phone and you swipe around and then you just see the space in in 360 um, and on Facebook, they have that too. And then there's another one. Uh, the, the next version up is actually cardboard. And the cardboard is basically, uh, it's Google Cardboard. I mean, now different manufacturers make it. And you can just put your phone in there. Um, and then there's different apps. Um, but also, you can also put YouTube 360 in there. And you can look around instead of swiping. Um, and then further up, there's all the headsets. There's like, you know, Oculus and there's Vive. So, so the opportunity with the, the headset versions for like oculus is actually that you can make room scale installations mm -hmm. and you can actually walk around um there's sensors that pick up your your position and then i can let you move around the room and actually interact with it like either through hand control or an eye gaze um but you have to have a physical room scale installation so the opportunity for that i see for the music industry is to create these um, room scale installations at concert venues and actually so that's what Bjork just did Bjork um, just for her tour had this very special installation version of this VR experience that she created which was interactive which you could only access if you had a ticket to her show and you mm -hmm. went to her show um, so I see that there definitely is a future where then you can pay premium to get this you know either get this version that is an installation or even get it to your home to your oculus vive headset at home um so i basically proposed this to to the label and they loved it and um um a good friend and uh, a producer i've worked with before she went into ar and vr like a year or two before me and she had actually been educating me on it uh tanya leal soto and so she came on to the project um and that kind of threw me into vr and then i just totally immersed myself in it and i just found i loved it because it just brought me brought everything kind of it brought everything back around like almost like 360 in a way because it um I, I suddenly was able to implement everything I learned from theater um, and like the stage and actually combine it with what I know from film. Um, and uh, so for me, that was really fun uh, it, or it is really fun for me uh, to think in that way because it's very different storytelling and because uh, it's a lot like the stage where you don't have con full control over what the participant is going to look at or where he or she is gonna go or what they're gonna interact with so you have to trust your audience and that's very much what you have to do in theater obviously you have this 
I mean, unless it's a theater and around, you have the audience sitting in, you know, in front and they just look in one direction. So that's a little different. But you can't, you don't know if they're going to look to the left of the stage or the right of the stage or the middle. And you have to use cues like visual cues or sound or, or the story are just like amazing acting to, to get them to look where you want them. Mm-hmm. And AR and VR is that same, is, is the same thing, you know? So, in, well, you just have that added el- element that they can actually like see everything around them as well, but you really have to use these tools to s- tell story in it. And um, and that's just very natural for me because I grew up in the theater. So um, it's just really fun to think in that way. And it's very challenging um, in a whole nother way of like just traditional film, which I love just as much. But so it's just nice to have both to play with, you know, and work with. Yeah, that's fascinating because so many people, I think, are still confused about, you know, what it really is and uh, how to interact with with both AR and VR. So I think I do agree, though, that there's so much potential for it in the future. Um, I wanted to ask you about um, other people in your life. For example, have you ever had a mentor or someone who's helped to guide you? And if so, tell me a little bit about that relationship and what um, what it was able to do for you in your career. Um, I've actually had various mentors and I still do, and they actually kind of vary in age as well. Like I have, a, she's a very dear friend, um, but she's actually younger than me, and I consider her a mentor. She's an executive producer in Hollywood, so I ask her for advice. Um, I think it's really important to have people around that you can go to and ask questions, but also, um, you know, and just get advice. Um, but I think it's important to have um, just a variety of them, not just like one, um, because it's also just our industry is so varied that there's like different aspects. So I have people that I go to for my writing and then people for my film and for my VR. I mean, I would consider basically my my producer is definitely a mentor for me in VR because she was the one that brought me into it. Um, so I go to her and ask her for advice or run stories, uh, you know, ideas by her, um, just as I do for film. Um, one mentor that I should definitely mention uh, that's been a big influence for me in the film industry is um, actually the person I met when I first considered going into narrative film, which was um, after I started writing feature screenplays, mm-hmm. uh, like or after I kind of finished my first feature screenplay, um, and I suddenly dared to dream to actually like one day like direct a feature film mm-hmm. and not just do commercials. Um, for money. <laughs> I I have to say I do like doing commercials too. Um, I enjoy the process. But um, I was actually invited by a fellow writer friend to um, an event uh, in LA and I met an EP there. Um, and he's a very, very generous uh, man with all, a lot of young talent where he advises them um, and gives them feedback. And he basically, I met him there and um, it was a really funny story because um, I bas- my friend was like, you gotta like practice pitching and I've never pitched. And so he's like, you basically go and talk to the, all these EPs and just kind of tell them about your film. And I'm like, it's not even ready. And he's like, doesn't matter. You just have to like kind of get in, in the habit and just be yourself and talk about your project. And so I went around and I collected like, I don't know, 10, 20 cards or something. 
and I got to Peter, his name is uh, Peter Graham from 120DB Film, and um, I got to Peter, and I was, uh, and he's like, so what's your name? And I was like, you're going to pitch me, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. He's like, well, you know what? I don't really want to listen to any more pitches. <laughs> Something along those lines. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, um, I don't even remember if he said this or how it came up, but then he's like, do you go to Burning Man? And I'm like, I've been to Burning Man. And he's like, oh, we can talk about that. So then we suddenly started talking about our experience of going to Burning Man, uh, you know, and the art and all of the stuff around it. And it just turned into this very personal conversation. And when we, you know, after like 10 or 15 minutes, you know, when we had to move on, he said, you know what? I like you. And because we just had like a very normal conversation, why don't you come and um, have a real meeting with me and you can pitch me a film? <laughs> and I was like, okay. That's when I got really nervous. And then I actually like met up with him um, and pitched him and five minutes in, he was like, okay, okay, stop, stop, stop. Start breathing. <laughs> You're not breathing right now. <laughs> Let's start over. Um, and I don't know, it just developed into this great uh, friendship, mentorship, you know, like where he's just been, you know, he's, he's, he told me like, you should go like to the film finance forum to learn about film financing just because you're a director and a writer, like not understanding, you know, how the financials work behind the film, that actually hurts you. So that was like really great to actually learn that, you know, um, and to be guided, to be, uh, not guided, but to have him advise me to like find out about that. Um, so, so he's been definitely very influential in my life, but like then also my, my other EP friend, Lee Broder, she's been, you know, a phenomenal too in giving me advice. Um, so there's a ver variety of people, you know, that mentor me and I keep looking for other people that will because I know I, you know, need help and I need like uh, advice and I keep learning and everything is shifting, you know, so. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, also because everybody, needs help like this is an industry that is all about other people you can't do you can't make a film on your own um, yeah so I wanted to also ask you about um, advice what is a piece of advice that you've gotten that you want to pass on to other people or that you think was really great advice or maybe something that you know now that you wish you'd known like 10 years ago um, well, one, I think I just kind of um, said earlier is like, just because you are in one field of the industry, may it be like, I mean, I think it depends. But like, if you are a director or writer, I do think it's really important to understand all the other areas. And that means not just the creative ones. Understand production, learn about finance, um, you know, it'll help you raise money, it'll help you get your movie done. So um, that was definitely like some of the most helpful advice that I got. Um, another, another word of advice that I tell all young filmmakers, go to film festivals. And this is something also that um, Peter actually told me, he's like, because I was um, invited to go to Sundance and um, and he's like, oh God, that's the best thing you can do. And like, we, we invited because the script and stuff. But like, he's like, I'm like, I don't have a film. And he's like, doesn't matter. Go to every film festival that you can afford to go to. Uh, you can figure out how to do it on a cheap. And I'm telling you, you can figure out. Like, it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg, especially since once you get there and you do go to these events, you know, you have to like, you know, know people to get invited or just, you know, figure it out. But you can. 
then you don't spend a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So then it's like acc- accommodation and, 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 the, and the airfare. But I, all my projects have, co- uh, have yeah, pretty much all of my projects um, have found producers or EPs or any money at film festivals. I never really found anyone in New York or in LA. And there's a reason for it because uh, people go there with the specific intention to meet young talent. So mm-hmm. they want you to pitch them and they're very receptive to it at that point. So they're looking for projects. Um, so I think that is the best advice that I can just go. Go to Sundance, Tribeca, um, TIFF, um, um, uh, Khan. I mean, my two top would be Sundance and Khan, as I think are the most helpful. But TIFF is great too, because the Canadian film market is awesome and they have great tax incentives. So if you find some pro- Canadian producers, mm-hmm. that's good. It's a huge up for for your film. Um, so yeah, and then you're gonna just network, and people are gonna see your face. They're gonna start taking you serious, especially if you keep like showing up, and you know, and you're like, okay, she, you know, she or he is, you know, here to stay, and is actually like, you know. Um, doing stuff, you know, and you update everyone with what you're doing, and you're gonna see people, you know, like, I've been going now to film festival, I think, for three years, so you know, I see the same people every time I go, you know, and I just update them and we say hi, so it just kind of starts this rapport, and then suddenly you have, like, this direct line, like, when you have a project ready or a new one that you can just kind of pick up a phone or, you know, write an email, and it'll, you know, they will actually read it or take your phone call. So, um, I think that's the most useful thing you can do, and especially here in New York. I mean, Tribeca is right here, so you don't have to go anywhere, you know. Yeah, I think it's great. So, do you have any advice? You seem to be someone who, you know, is willing to at least, you know, go out of your comfort zone a bit to talk to people. I mean, you know, particularly women, but people in the industry all the time, who it's just hard for them to network because they're shy or they don't know what to say or they don't want to just like go up to somebody they don't know. Do you have any advice on ways to like break the ice or ways to like network that, you know, help to help people get out of that, you know, shyness? So I used to be, I mean, I used to be on the stage and then I went off stage and I don't know what happened in that time, but I think I became so comfortable behind the camera that when I actually had to like go to Sundance and network again, I was, petrified I was like shaking and I didn't know what to say and I was so unsure and all I can say is that um, you know I just kind of kept pushing like I had this project that I really wanted to see come to you know uh, be produced and I knew the only way to do it you know was by actually getting other people involved so (laughs) I forced myself and it was not a fun you know process but I forced myself now I've gotten to a point where I've done it so many times that it's become very easy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the best thing to do, I know some people say like, oh, imagine the other person naked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I never, I don't know, never worked for me. Um, is And I think Peter also in that first meeting kind of taught me, it's like, maybe if it makes you nervous speaking about your own project, just don't speak about your own project. Just connect with the person, just say hi, say your name, and then ask them what they do and let them talk because people like to talk, we all do. And if someone is interested in you, they will tell you about them. So right there, you've already bought like probably 10 minutes you know, of time. And then they will probably ask you what you do. And then you can just talk about 
don't think about it too technically. Oh, I have to like hit these points. Just talk about what you care about. And your project is going to be the thing that you care about. You know, if someone asks me, like you asked me, what do you do? I, I told you right away about my projects because I care about them and I know them so well. Like I don't have to think about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably the best advice is to just like, just not try and pitch, but just try to talk to someone and just say hi. And even if you just say hi and ask them what they do and let them talk and then they, you know, even that, you probably will get a card. And even if you don't even say anything, that's already the first step, you know? And most of the time at these, you know, events and functions, you're not gonna talk to the person like you're on a stage and just speaking one-on-one. -on -one. Generally, you're gonna be in a group. And that right away just kind of dissipates all the, you know, the nervousness a lot because it's not like on, it's the spotlight is not on you and you're not actually like speaking like you're on stage. You're actually kind of just speaking in a very social setting. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great advice. I've also found it's really helpful if you're shy to try and bring a buddy. You know, oh, yeah. if you have somebody else who can, or even if you don't know anybody, if you see somebody else standing alone, it's like, hey, that happened to me at a film festival once. This woman walked up to me and she's like, are you here by yourself? And I was like, yeah. She's like, let's be buddies. And then for the rest of the festival, we like met up together. We went to the same parties and we taught, and she would introduce me to people and I introduced her to people. And it was like so much more fun just because we both were like, oh yeah, let's, we'll be buddies and we'll go to the stuff together. So we feel less awkward. Because I think that sometimes people just feel awkward and it's so much easier when you have like another person who can be like, oh yeah, let's go talk to this guy or let's go talk to this person. So yeah, it's like, if you can team up, that's great. Um, if, especially if you're shy and you just are like, oh, I don't want to go talk to people. I absolutely agree with that. And I, and I didn't even think about this, but um, I think it's also great, like, especially with like organizations like NYWIFT, you know, mm -hmm. um, where when, when you know that you've committed to going to like, let's say Sundance or can just send a message out to the members and ask who else is going because mm -hmm. at this point and I also from the beginning like the first one I went with a writing partner so I did have a buddy with me um, but I've done what you've done when I'm at an event and I just talk to someone that's standing alone too because it is true like having someone with you but I think being part I'm also part of um, AWD and like so and, and Film Fatales um, so that we have such a great network that there's always people going to the festival so you're not going to be alone and then just ask to meet up and then you can go to mm -hmm. events together and you just share you know the events that are going on anyway within your group so it just becomes a lot more fun and like you said more comfortable yeah yeah I think that's so great um I wanted to to talk a little bit more about your work so I'm really excited for the projects you have for the future how can listeners out there um support your future work uh, support. Um, I mean, by watching them. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, by watching, participating in them. I mean, we uh, we had a, a fundraising campaign going on for uh, this VR project, um, but it's already ended. So, um, but I, you know, I mean, I think in the end, it's eyeballs is like the most helpful thing to us, and people like going to the cinema or like you know watching online and you get you know those views I think that's and then um yeah supporting me that way would be amazing like I'd just be so honored if anyone watches my stuff or takes takes the time to participate in it that would be amazing great great it's been so lovely talking to you Sky thank you so much
Thank you for having me. It was really fun. Shot Colors is brought to you by New York Women in Film and Television. To find out more, visit nywif.org. Shot Colors is produced by me, Destiny Lilly, and the music is by Lisa Brigantino. 